post-game edition. The Sixers have taken a 2-0 lead thanks to a 112-97 win at the crib in South Philly over the Toronto Raptors in this first round 4-5 matchup. I am your host, Adil Royster, chill ride, chill vibes as always. Another dominating performance from the big man. Another surprising playoff performance by the the homie Tyrese Maxi, or as I am calling him since game one, uh, Maximus, but we'll get into that as well in a second. In the meantime, I got Jackson Frank on the line. We're going to talk about tonight's game, the series as a whole. And then after the break, we'll maybe talk about the Western Conference a little bit because, you know, at some point, if the Sixers want to win a championship, they're going to have to take on somebody in the West. So we'll discuss that. Jackson, how you doing? Doing well. That was an entertaining game all around. Can't complain. Uh, entertaining is one way. To, it was kind of like a roller coaster of a game, and like we'll we'll dissect all of that. Um, to to start the game, and we kind of talked about this like off before we started recording. That that first four minutes, I thought that game one was the game where you know what, if Toronto is going to steal one in Philly, it's game one. But then. Toronto came out hot and physical like they did tonight for the first four minutes. And I'm just like, oh, crap. Is this the game they're going to – this is the game we're going to drop? No Scotty Barnes and, like, the Raptors at maybe, like, 80% strength. Like, this is the game we're going to drop? Did, did, did that set in, like, early for you at all? Uh, I, I did think the first quarter was fairly encouraging from Toronto's perspective. Obviously, you know, they got – you know, they, they were hot from three, particularly Fred Van Vliet, um, but they're running more pick and rolls and bead, you know, wasn't particularly sharp defensively in that first quarter. Um, they looked a little, the Sixers looked a little scattered defensively, that aggressive defense that Toronto always adheres to kind of had them, you know, like, like kind of through the first punch. Um, but I mean, that second, that second quarter really changed things and, and whatnot, but um, yeah, I like after that first quarter, even, you know, at least through four or five minutes, I expected the, it to be a pretty good game maybe, but um I, I just even even with Scotty Barnes, even with Gary Trent available, like I think, you know, maybe, maybe we, we don't know what the series looks like with with Gary available at full strength. I know he's been dealing with an illness. I think both games obviously left, you know, game two early, unfortunately. Right. Um, but he just looked like a better team, you know, in game one definitively. And so I, I thought things would maybe, you know, I, th- I thought if that continued, um, you know, the Sixers would comfortably win this series. But the, the first four or five minutes, as you said, didn't look like that. They the offense looks a little smoother and cleaner for Toronto on the half court. Um, you know, they, they looked like they were playing physically precious was fronting Joel a lot, making his touches hard in the post. Um, obviously no, that continued, but um, the game did look a little different than how most of game one played out. So I think you could definitely maybe think that um, Toronto was going to, you know, at least make it a, a tightly contested game. But obviously that did not, you know, remain throughout. With Toronto starting off as hot as they did, like how important was it, for Joel Embiid to come in from the tip and just be as dominant as he was in that first quarter with 19 points. Yeah. I mean, he had full free throws in the first quarter um, and he was just, he was doing a good job of getting deep position, uh, attacking the glass. Only had two offensive rebounds today. Um, obviously he was great on the glass in game one, but I'm um, just really making his presence felt. I thought the Sixers did a great job getting out in transition in that first quarter. Um, I looked at their numbers uh, from cleaning the glass after the first quarter and their transition volume was like, 20%, 25%, hard had a couple of nice passes. George Manning had a really nice play in that first quarter. Ball swung his way in, in the fast break and could have taken a three, um, but Embiid had a deep seal and immediately passed it to him. Embiid got the end one eventually on a putback against Precious. So 
Um, that was huge. Embiid just, you know, continuing to leverage his size inside and the Sixers doing well to um, find him, which has not always been an easy thing for the Sixers throughout the years. Um, that that was important. I mean, like I said, Van Vliet was playing really well and, you know, they were, the, the offense looked pretty good for Toronto and, and they cut and sit, the Sixers were only down one after the first quarter, you know, and that was because Joel scored 19 points, four of six from the field, 11 of 12 from the, from the free throw line. Um, just really kind of allowed the Sixers to keep pace offensively, you know, despite the, the Raptors really coming out hot from the gates. Second quarter, you kind of saw it opening up a little bit, and that was due in most part to Danny Green, had a couple of big three-pointers in the second quarter. And then you also saw Maxi kind of start to find his groove a little bit, but Danny Green's three-point shooting in that second quarter really kind of opened things up. And it's just, it's nice to see when Danny Green is like hitting those shots. Yeah. And I mean, you know, I, I, the Raptors, they, they're for whatever reason, they're, I mean, their other uh, defense wasn't good in the first quarter, but obviously that was largely because they couldn't guard him with Joel because they're much smaller. But the second quarter things just kind of fell to the wayside. Like they, they constantly overhelped. And I know that they were in a very aggressive defense and they want to make turnovers, but like, just spacing out on the strong side against a good shooter like Danny Green, things like that. They really kind of collapsed there. And then, you know, Fred Van Vliet's jumper went cold. The Sixers continued to run even more. Maxi is so good in the open floor, making stuff happen. I thought Paul Reed gave some good minutes despite, I don't think he even, you know, he had, was barely in the box score. One shot, two rebounds, two fouls. Um, thought he gave some good minutes in the second quarter. Um, you know, the, the Maxi Harden two man game continued to really be great. It's been awesome all series. You've seen that is it be so good. lethal. That is so lethal. Yeah. And you've seen it be good since Harden. You know, it doesn't have to be even that like specific actions. It's just them working in tandem. That's been great since the, you know, the moment Harden joined the Sixers. So, um, those are kind of the themes. And, you know, Danny wasn't even great from three tonight. Like he was three of nine, missed a lot of good looks. But the, the, the ability to get up nine looks is not something I think he could have maybe done. Uh, you know, a month ago, he's been really good the last, I mean, dating back basically that Toronto game, you know, when he, when he rejoined the starting lineup because Matisse, you know, can't play in Toronto, um, you know, he's been really good. And the defense was awesome tonight had, I think two or three steals, a block, maybe um, he had two blocks, one steal, uh, a lot of plays where he just used his understanding of angles well to cut off drives. So um, Danny being capable of handling 38 minutes and being that kind of that fifth starter, that was a looming question mark for a lot of the year. Um, over the last couple of weeks for the Sixers has been huge. And I think, you know, that second quarter, as you said, hit some big threes to help keep, get the, give the Sixers control. And they never kind of relinquished control. You know, by the time Embiid came back in, you know, they were, they were kind of cruising. There's some hiccups at times, but um, never got below double digits again. I think, you know, whenever they built a double digit lead in the, in the second quarter, I don't think it ever dipped below that moving forward. So, and that was in part because Danny Green was, was quite effective in those minutes. Also, I mean, I can't not, reiterate how um, much that foul trouble for the Raptors really kind of bit them in the butt a little bit in this first half. You had OG and Siakam had two, and then Gary Trent had four personal fouls before halftime. And I'm like, wow, uh, for a Raptors team that doesn't really go deep into the bench and they're already kind of shorthanded as, as is, that's not particularly great. And you kind of saw that uh, really take its toll on the roster. And, you know, the Sixers opened up that 67-52 lead at the half. So, I mean, it's it's really hard to win when you're shorthanded as it is. But how much how much does it really compact that? If, like, I don't want to say they're not playing smart defensively, but maybe catching one or two hands in the cookie jar. And, like, I, I thought they would not take those risks. Yeah, I mean, they're just, you know, this is a team that is – already in the regular season already relied on starters a ton 
Uh, when you take out Scotty Barnes from the equation, then you know Gary Trent Jr. early in the second half, um, and then Thad Young only played eight minutes. They're in a really tough spot, right? Um, and like Chris Boucher, you know, had a nice game tonight. You know, was was good on the offensive glass, but his defensive limitations in space with his awareness have really been an issue throughout this series. Um, and safe to play him thirty minutes. That that's tough for you defensively. Um, you, you know, you play Malachi Flynn twenty one minutes, who I thought was actually solid defensively, but you know, gave you nothing, you know, on, on the offensive end, you know, 04 from the field, 02 from three. And he had took a couple of tough shots. He kind of got caught with tough, you know, tough late clock stuff. But um, I thought he had a couple of looks that you got to hit. He had four fouls as well. So um, they're just in a really difficult position. Then you had to play Fred Van Vliet 44 minutes. And it kind of right. felt like it felt like this game was kind of an encapsulation of his year, right? Where, you know, he was really good in the first quarter. Uh, and I should, I obviously he was better than just one quarter of the season. I'm not saying that, but you know, with this massive workload, the wheels kind of fell off because he was working so hard in that first quarter to create stuff, get downhill, you know, get open off the ball. And then even defensively, I thought he was still pretty solid throughout the night. So um, has to play 44 minutes, goes 7 of 23. I think he hit four or five of his shots in the first quarter. I don't recall exactly, but um, was like maybe three of 17 the rest of the way. So that's, you know, a massive workload just kind of took its toll on him. And and so, you know, that's kind of been the story of his season, unfortunately. So, um yeah, just all those guys getting in foul trouble. You know, team was already shorthanded. You know, whether it's the actual rotation or you're missing a guy like Scotty Barnes, just puts you in a really tough spot. And you have to play a guy like Ken Birch 19 minutes, who's fine, but he just really hurts you, you know, offensively because he can't space and you've already got some other non spacing bigs or, you know, big wings out there. Um, so you're just, you're, you're in a tough spot. Um, and I, I don't, I don't know where they go from here. You know, I hope, you know, fingers crossed that Gary Trent Jr. is healthy enough for, for Wednesday and, and same with Scotty Barnes. I don't, it seems like, you know, I've had to bet. It seems like Gary might be better off than, than Scotty, but um, even with those guys around, I don't know necessarily where the Raptors go from here um, because, you know, as good as Embiid was, you know, he didn't have to consistently take over often. Like he had 19 points in the first quarter and then 12 the rest of the way. Like he did like he, he had a good game, but 31 is the standard game for Joel this year. Like not even hyper, like he averaged 30.6 in regular season. So like, like, like I, I know that the Raptors have guarded Joel pretty well, you know, throughout the regular season, but like they haven't had to have a big Joel game yet. And, and so I don't know where the Raptors go. I just think they're, they're in a really difficult spot, which is, you know, a, a tough position for them to exist, which is me just saying the same thing twice, but that, that's the reality. Yeah. For them. And it, I'm guessing it goes without saying that it's already hard enough that the Raptors had to deal with Joel Embiid and James Harden, but now you're seeing, you know, Tyrese Maxey kind of growing his uh, playoff legs a little bit, had another great game, 23 points, nine rebounds, eight assists. It's really tough to deal with Embiid as it is. But then Maxey, like, did anybody really anticipate this kind of a playoff leap? I don't know if it's just like uh, Toronto's not used to seeing him or if it's like maybe he has really taken the step since Harden got here. Yeah, I mean, I, I can't say that I expected Maxi to go 22 of 32 for 61 points in his first two games. I mean, yeah. That's, that's ridiculous. But he did play well in three of the four games against Toronto this year, and you saw how he can play off of the kind of the, the aggressive defense that the Raptors have when they load up to Joel and Harden and just his speed and his ability to kind of get to those, those openings. Um, so I, I thought he would be in line for a very good series. Again, I didn't – I mean, he's averaging 30.5 points on – I don't know, like 70% true shooting or something ridiculous, maybe 75. Um, I think he was like 80% the first game, eight of 11 for 23 is probably even better. So like 30 on 80% true shooting. No, I didn't expect that. 
But generally speaking, the process, I think, is replicable for him. I think you can have games where he goes 9 of 15 and 7 of 14 for 20 points and things like that. So, so yeah, in, in a macro sense, yes, I thought Maxi was in line for a very nice series. But specifically, no, I did not foresee it to this degree. Um, but, I, I, I mean, if he, unless he just starts missing some shots that he can normally hit and just maybe some variance takes over in a game or two, I don't expect him to really struggle a um, I just think he's really lined up well to, to, serve, to, to thrive and um, just those minutes that he gets to play without Joel and, and really tap team up with Harden, um, you know, it, it puts them in a good spot. And I think maybe the, the one thing that like Toronto could do is like, and I don't know if this is actually an easy fix, you know, in a, in a span of a day and a half is like, they're really over helping against Harden and Joel and letting Maxi do these things. And they're letting the corner threes happen. I know that's their mm-hmm. style. They force turnovers. They want to get in transition, but like you wonder at some point, like you got to change something, right? You're giving up a bunch of open threes and you're letting a guy who averaged 18 on good efficiency throughout the regular season now average 30. So um, I don't know if that's an easy fix. Just tell these guys change how they, the defensive scheme has been all year, but um, you do wonder if they maybe start to load up the paint less and, and shade less help to harden and just kind of maybe trust some of these wing stoppers like a Pascal or, or a precious or an, or an OG um, cause they've all had some good possessions or at least precious and OG specifically had good possessions on, on Harden, but, um, they really put themselves in tough spots when Harden's up top and he's kind of dribbling between the legs and dancing and the, the wing helps off of Tyrese. And then there's an easy bounce pass to him or maybe Tobias and they let it, fl- they let it fly or they attack off the catch and then boom, the Raptors don't have the ability to recover from there. Uh, let's talk about Tobias Harris for a second. Like how, how have you seen his series so far? Like, he had another really solid game tonight 20 and 10 and he's just out here doing the little things and he's out like i <laughs> he's just the he's the windex slash garbage man and like he'll knock down like open threes and whatnot he's having a really really decent series so far and i'd like to see that transition when we go to the t-dot on wednesday yeah i mean he's playing the most impactful impactful basketball of his career i think at, at least certainly in a sixers uniform I mean, i've covered him every year he's been here um he had one three i think in the second half where he was on the wing and he like just let it fly no hesitation like turned around before it went even went even went in and it's like i i don't think i've seen tobias play with that level of confidence as an outside shooter like ever as a sixer like i just in the in the ball just ripped through the net three of three from three tonight three of five again in game one he's got 46 points on 25 shots um, had three blocks tonight. Some of them maybe look like steals when he just he has such good hands against uh, against Pascal, especially. So um, it's just playing really well. Attacked the glass well tonight as well. Had some really aggressive rebounds that they needed from him. So um, he's just been really awesome. I mean, like he he's just he deserves a ton of credit because it was tough for him to start the year. It was tough for him to to assimilate to Harden's arrival. Mm-hmm. And basically, since that Nets game about five and a half weeks ago, when the Sixers obviously got trounced. He's been awesome. He's been really, really good in his role, and he just he just deserves a ton of praise for it. And he he's been a huge reason the Sixers find themselves up 2-0, and not just up 2-0, two comfortable wins, you know, by about thirty five combined points or whatever it's been. So um, huge credit to him. He's bringing it on the glass. He's bringing it as an on ball defender. He even jumped a passing lane in the first quarter. Oh and, yeah, you know, like I don't remember the last time I saw him like jump a passing like that as a Sixer. Like he didn't get the steal, but he delayed the offense, and then I think Pascal missed a tough jumper that he helped influence. So. Um, he's just clicking on all cylinders and do what he can. And it's been really, really impressive. And, um, you know, when he's, you know, your fourth best guy, maybe, th- I don't know, whatever you want to say about, you know, Harden versus Tobias, I'd probably lean Harden. So just given the, you know, the playmaking and whatnot, but, um, when he's your third slash fourth best guy and he's giving you that, 
you're in a really good spot. And he, like I said, he just, he deserves all the credit in the world for adjusting to this role after it clearly took a couple of weeks and didn't get off to a great start before, you know, Harden was around this year, was figuring things out a little bit pre-trade, but um, just been really impressed with Harden or with, with Harris and, um, and Tobias. And so um, just want to give him his flowers because he's certainly earned them over the past month, and, you know, especially these last couple of games. I will say this about the end of game two, right? And we're talking about this roller coaster that we were all on tonight. That 20 to two run late in the fourth quarter. Um, I would have really preferred they just kind of step on the throat and just let Joel kind of sit the rest of the fourth quarter. Uh, rather, they let the Raptors seize a little bit of momentum. Does that worry you going into the T dot a little bit? Not. I mean, not, not really. I mean, like, I, I don't ever want to do the cliche, but I like, yeah, they, they did kind of like let off, like they did, like you can tell it's night and day when the Sixers are locked in defensively. Like they, they tonight for the most part, they're flying around defense where they're making two guys around the ball. And then if one guy's too, too soon, then he peels back to someone else. Like they just didn't do that for about a five minute stretch. And Joel was out and Harden wasn't very good in the second half today. Honestly, I don't think he scored. I think he had 14 in the first half and then barely did anything. In the second half they didn't yeah. hit it. Um, but he also was kind of, he, his handle was weird tonight. He had some sloppy passes. Um, so that's one thing I would, that's the thing I probably would just keep him like, I, that's the major thing I would look for with the Sixers. Like what Harden do you get to get to get the one, even though he wasn't great as a scorer in game one, but it was great as a passer. It was still good overall. Do you get that version? You get the one from the first half who kind of helped the Sixers push the lead when Joel was out in the second quarter. Do you get the second half version where didn't score, was kind of sloppy with his handle and some passing. That's the one thing I would look at, but no, I don't, I wouldn't really worry about that. Like you just, you could just tell they kind of let up defensively and they, they, and Harden wasn't himself. And so maybe that's an issue moving forward, the Harden part, but defensively they kind of locked back in, you know, the final five minutes or so, and they didn't really have any issues there, but yeah, Harden would be the one thing I'm looking for because he wasn't very good. And we know that Harden this year has been better when he's had long rest and obviously had a bunch of time off for game one, not much off for game two, just one game or one day, we'll have another day off you know, the same ahead of game three, but Generally speaking, no, I don't. I didn't take much from that. That beyond, you know, and I know Giano Nobi hit a couple of ridiculous, like that step back three. Yeah, seven thirty mark. I think the Sixers played good defense. Tobias was a half second late closing out, but it was like a a three two feet beyond the arc. Um, I know G hit some pretty ridiculous shots tonight. Kudos to him. Um, showed some really impressive self self creation. Fourteen shots, twenty six points, four threes. So um, the hardened thing was from that stretch would be the only real moment for concern, but. He's just been so kind of fickle at times this year that I don't know if it's going to carry over, but it could. That's kind of where I where I stand on that position. Here's what I'm kind of concerned about. Like, I know that the Sixers have had 64 free throw attempts in the first two games here in Philly. Um, I'm just a little bit worried that they're not going to get those same calls in Toronto, in which case that's going to take a lot of points off the board. Yeah, I think – I mean, I think that's certainly – possible um but I, I i do like and i i'm never i'm never great discussing fouls because it's honestly i just don't really pay attention to the other side a call happens and if it's too egregious i'll, I'll internalize it and maybe say and have something but i just never really tweet about those things or really make notes of them because i it's not something that either team can control right and so like you, you leave I, that to like, other people at liberty ballers <laughs> Um, yeah, like it's, I, I, I don't really even, like, I don't really care if people harp on that or they, they worry about it, but it's never something that I feel like is worth my analysis or my, my, my brain capacity. <laughs> um, but it, but it does feel like most of the calls that Harden and Bead are getting are fouls. And I, maybe I'm like, I'm not, again, I'm not, I'm not going to be the authoritarian ruler on this because I'm not 
overanalyzing any of them, but like Joel is a masterfully skilled player who's a threat at all three levels uh-huh. and is very crafty and much bigger than anyone on the rapid front line. And so it feels like those calls should continue in Toronto, but yeah, who knows? But uh, my point being is I just think most of these calls have been legit. I'm not, I don't know for sure, but I don't really want to get into that discussion. Not that you're forcing us to, but um, it's just not my area of expertise, but I think it is worth at least noting that maybe some home cooking in favor of the Raptors moving forward the next two games could arise, but I don't know what to expect in that regard. Uh, last thing about tonight's game before we head into the break, uh, the Danny Green dunk in the fourth quarter. Uh, did, did you hit your head jumping on the <laughs> ceiling after it happened? Because I was just like, wow, I, I had no idea Danny Green still had that in him. <laughs> well, I'm, uh, I was watching on, um, I was watching on, I'm on, on my computer. And so I think someone in Slack pointed out like a big Danny, pl- like someone like in all caps, like Danny. And I was like, like what? Like, I guess I have to prepare for some Danny Green play. Uh-huh. So I was kind of ready for it. But my immediate mind was like, when's the last time Danny Green dunked? I think it was only a second or third dunk of the year. It was um, a second. We fact-checked this on Slack. Yeah, second of the year. Only his fourth as a sixer. He had five <laughs> in his last his only year with the Lakers. So um, only his 56th – or sorry, I guess, uh, including the 71st career dunk. He's played uh, over t- over a decade now. So, um, yeah, I was, I was surprised. But I think that just goes to show Danny is feeling the best physically he's felt all year. Maybe I think he had a stretch early in the season, maybe after one of his first injuries that he looked really good. But otherwise, I think this is the best stretch of him of his season physically. And so that don't just kind of feel like a good summary of that. Um, and clearly he was fired up the bench. I don't think he expected either. And that was a fun moment for everyone involved. And um, I think if you're the Raptors, you, you give up a Danny Green dunk and a Matisse Thibel three in the same game. You probably just got to like you know, tip your cap and, and say that <laughs> that's the game for you. But uh, but yeah, that dunk was quite, uh, I think, a good, like I said, summation of how Danny's feeling physically and looked physically the last couple of weeks. Yeah, I put this out on Twitter. It was like, oh, wait, wait, wait. Da- Danny Green? I- Sixers Danny Green. Oh, if he's throwing down hammers, that's a wrap. I can turn this game off. <laughs> um, so we're going to take a quick break. Sixers win tonight. They take a 2-0 lead going to Toronto. Going to come back with Jackson Frank, and we're going to talk about the West a little bit. And, uh, yeah, get his thoughts on potential, maybe, um, you know, putting the cart way before the horse, looking to see who the Sixers might have to play in the NBA Finals. Knocking on wood. Back in a second, Liberty Ballers Out of Sight Podcast on the Liberty Ballers Podcast Network. It is the Out of Sight Podcast post-game edition. I am your host, Adil Royster, Chill Ride, Chill Vibes. I'm here with Jackson Frank. We talked about the Sixers' uh, victory over the Toronto Raptors tonight, 1-12-97. And we're gonna focus. We're gonna shift over to the West a little bit, real quick, because there is a whole another conference playing basketball. I'm not sure if everybody was aware of this, but uh, Jackson, when you look at the West and you see some of the games that have already taken place, as well as some of the stuff in the East as well. Like right now, at the time of this recording, the Jazz are leading the Mavericks 88-84. About nine minutes left, and if that if Utah goes up two nothing. And they haven't even played at home yet. Doncic or not, I think that series is cooked. I I I I, just, I can't I can't get. I, I see your point, but I I think with Luca healthy, the the Mavs are some much better team than the Jazz. I mean, they're up six. They squeak past the game one too. Like I just think I think the Jazz, the Mavs are a better team. And um, you know, it's been we've seen the Jazz 
blow leads in back-to-back years. True. Um, we have seen the Mavs blow a 2-0 lead. So I think both of those teams know, I mean, guess know the perils and or know that it's possible. So um, the 2-0 is obviously a great spot to be in, but I just, the way both those teams played the last 30, 40 games of the year, um, I just have a lot more confidence in the Mavs. Now, if Luca is, if Luca is maybe a borderline all-star type player, just given his injury versus the all NBA guy that we are accustomed to, that changes the calculus, but I still, I still lean the Mavs that they can get Luca back by game two or game three, excuse me. Uh, now if the jazz go up three Oh, then yeah, I, I would be a lot less confident, but just from what I've seen uh, of these teams the last two or three months, basically kind of dating back to that, that Mavs Sixers game in Dallas, the Sixers, you know, collapse in the second half, that's kind of turned that kind of keyed the Mavs turn around. Mm-hmm. I just have more confidence in them, but again, you know, a 3-0 lead is much different than 2-0. A 70% Doncic is much different than a 95% Doncic. So um, we'll see. But I still I still prefer the Mavs. But, you know, 2-0, there, there are much worse spots to be in. But as I said, now it's a two-point game as I'm looking on ESPN. So, um, you know, the, the Jazz holding the lead there. So, um, you know, the, both these teams know what it's like to be up 2-0 and, you know, how that is not ironclad by any means. And which is should apply to the Sixers as well if you want to tie back, you know, the, tie in that. There, they should you know make clear that you know go three zero, then you're in a good spot. But two zero is only halfway there, so um, I still favor the Mavs if if Luca can come back and generally be himself. But that's a pretty big if. I guess the big surprise of the weekend was Minnesota going into Memphis and stealing Game One by thirteen and putting up 130 points on Memphis. Um, yeah, I can't say I saw that one coming. Because, you know, everybody was really high on Memphis going into the playoffs, including me, because I they're, they're my pick to make the NBA Finals. But, um, yeah, M- Minnesota might be frisky. They might take this thing long if they continue to play this way. Do you agree? Yeah, I mean, M- Minnesota's been really good since about halfway through the year. I think they were 16 and 20 at one point, close to the year, 30 and 16. Just about 52 win pace. Obviously, the first 36 games count, but um, this is going to be playing really well. The offense has been about atop the league for the last three and a half months, I want to say, basically like mid-December. Um, they got to a clunky start, but they were able to kind of stay alive with some good, some frenetic and impactful defense that turned over a lot. The defense fell off, but um, then D'Lo and Cat kind of got on the same page offensively, and they've been dominant since. Um, I've worried all year about Memphis a little bit, just with their kind of point of attack defense. You look mm. beyond Dylan Brooks, there's not a lot of guys who can contain dribble penetration. True. You go to D'Anthony Melton, but – Anthony Melton is a guy who I like, but is much more limited offensively and only played, you know, 14 minutes in game one, missed all, of his, all, all three of his threes. So it's tough to play him a ton there. Um, Tyus Jones, I think, is pretty good at the point of attack, but he's also a small guard. Um, so they weren't very good in help either. You know, Jaron Jackson had five fouls, limited 24 minutes, was great. And when he did play, seven blocks, <laughs> which is ridiculous in 24-minute uh, stretch. Obviously, fouls have been an issue with him for his entire career, but I think you'll expect to see him to play more. Um, I think the help could be better. They just, they were just kind of late on some rotations, but I do think this could be a long series. I, I, I think Steven Adams is a really tough mat as cat is a tough match for Steven Adams. Um, just cat's ability to play in space and uses quickness versus Adams. Um, I think now if, if Jaron can play more and be that kind of that roamer, that helper, like we saw in that Clippers wolves game where they would, you know, put, uh, you know, a smaller guy on, on cat with Batum or whoever else or Robert Covington and then bring, you know, if it's a over, um, I would probably do the inverse, have Jeremy the helper. But if that can be the case, then then maybe you're a tougher spot. And also, you know, Ant is incredible, um, but he still is at times kind of prone to, you know, his jumper. Now, it's good that he was 8 of 12 inside the arc uh, in that game. 
um, some low hanging fruit all, you know, but so that wasn't good. I thought he got downhill, but also hit a lot of like tough mid range jumpers off the dribble, I think. Um, so that, you know, I kind of wonder there, like, you know, Ant's been great through two postseason games, but you know, if he has a cold night, does that impact his defense? His defense has been pretty impressive through two postseason games as well. Um, so there's things to monitor. I think like, I, I, I still lean Memphis, but I, I wouldn't be surprised if Minnesota won because I think it's a pretty good matchup for them. And they've also been playing really excellent basketball as of late. And then also the other thing too, is Minnesota played its starters a ton more. You know, you look at the lineup here, oh, yeah. 40 minutes for Ant, 43 for Cat, uh, 30 for Beasley, 25 for Jade and McDaniels. Then you go down to, um, you know, and Cat and, or sorry, Beasley and, and, and Jade McDaniels didn't start. Um, those games, but they were, you know, key reserves. And then you go back to look at Memphis, 35 minutes for Brooke, 35 for Jaw, 33 for Bain. Like when you get 83 combined minutes out of a possible 96 from Ant and Cat versus let's say, just call Jaw and Bain, your two best players for prosper- for posterity, 68 uh-huh. minutes, like that's a huge deal. So, um, you know, th- that that's something to monitor. I think that could be an easy fix, um, you know, for, for Memphis. But um, yeah, I think this is, I think this could be a long series and I wasn't really surprised by the result. Like I said, I prefer Memphis, but another thing too, was that, you know, Memphis only got eight offensive rebounds and they've been a huge offensive rebound team all year. Um, that's something that kind of, as we're seeing with Toronto tends to maybe not be as reliable in the postseason. So, yeah. um, I'll, I'll be tracking that, you know, in game two for Memphis as well. I don't think the Raptors were a significant presence on the boards in game two, uh, either tonight, but um, obviously Memphis is the, you know, quote unquote better team, whereas the Sixers are the perceived the better team in this matchup. So there's maybe some difference there, but, <laughs> um, but yeah, really, really interesting first game. I wasn't really surprised. And um, I think we're going to see some fun adjustments and I, I expect this to be at least a six game series. Um, now I'm not saying six in favor of Memphis necessarily, but um, it's still my pick, but I think, you know, either this really can go either way because Minnesota is really good and they have been playing really good basketball for the last three or so months and you know they deserve a lot of credit and you know they're i don't think they're a normal seven seed really i think they they, they're playing like a team that can just basically a 50 win or better team right now i don't want to spend too much time on phoenix and new orleans because i i feel like new orleans is just kind of we're we're just happy to be here and then we get zion back next next year maybe hopefully but um golden state denver i still think there's a chance for the nuggets here just because it sounds hacky and uh, you hear it all the time, but playing in Denver is different than playing in any other arena. So I'm not ready to call Denver Golden State over until Denver loses at home. Yeah, I mean, I think that's reasonable. And as we're, as we're recording, uh, the Nuggets are up one at the end of the first, though they were in it for about 18, 20 minutes of the first game as well. So um, long way to go, but I, I really work like Denver's defensive personnel. And like, I'm not like, not even, I mean, Jokic had some mistakes, but I think his struggles were very much overblown. Um, I'm, I'm like all cool for jokes, but I think there was some genuine analysis. I saw that was weird, but their <laughs> perimeter defense was really awful in game one. Will Barton struggled a ton. Jeff Green as well. Monte Morris couldn't get around screens. Aaron Gordon wasn't his usual self. Um, Wait, Jeff Green is still in the league. Jesus. Yeah. He, I mean, he's, he's still a heck of an athlete. He can get up for some dunks, but um, and make some plays. I feel like Jeff Green has been in the NBA since I was in high school. He was, he was, was he the same? He was the same draft as KD, I think, right? The 07 draft. They were both, both supersonics, which is. Oh, he was. That's right. Yeah. Um, But they just, they're, I mean, again, Jokic is not incredible, but I thought he was generally okay in that game. It was about everyone around him. That was an issue. And the, 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 
the Warriors are so multifaceted. It's kind of who can create offense, whether it's Clay, Jordan Poole was awesome in game one. You know, Andrew Wiggins can get his, it kind of work from side pick and roll. Steph was okay. You know, it wasn't great for a standard, but first game back after a month off. So I, I, I'm not going to count out, you know, for parts of the reason you said, because Jokic is incredible and the reigning MVP and, you know, final second this year. So, um, but after watching game one, I just have a tough time seeing them pull it out. I just think they're working from too much of a deficit defensively and uh, especially on the perimeter. And Jokic is, I think, a good defender, but he's not an Embiid or a Draymond and he's not going to cover up for every hole that maybe a team leaves on the perimeter. So, um, a tough spot for them to be in, but hey, this could go out in two hours, and the Nuggets could have won Game Two and have home court advantage all of a sudden. <laughs> and your your reasoning for the, the you know the mile high air um, could certainly play a big factor. And I'm not going to rule them out, but just based on Game One, I think they're in a tough spot, especially when they go to the uh, they played a lot of the Steph Pool Clay, not a lot, some some Steph Pool Clay Wiggins Draymond stuff. Oh my god, four shooters around Draymond and and Dray and Dre hell zone against Jokic in the post at times and pick and rolls and. Um, you just spread that de- that Denver limited defense out, and you know, with four shooters, four guys can create in d- to different degrees, and um, you're in a really difficult position if you're Denver in that case. So um, I lean Golden State in five or six, but I'm not going to count out Denver, who has you know, you know, the guy who's made back to who's with you know a, a back-to-back MVP MVP finals at the very least. It's like death lineup 2.0. Um, <laughs> last thing, um, any other big takeaways from the weekend's games anything that made you say huh that's interesting or or anything like that or if there were no surprises at all that's fine too uh i i mean i was i was surprised how how down to the wire the milwaukee chicago game came oh yeah thought that might be kind of it's like the the game that you sleep through uh on the sunday and then wake back up for you know even the sun's pelicans was kind of teetered on a close game maybe you wake back up for that and close the evening out but um the bulls defensive rotations were kind of reminiscent of how well they played early in the year when they were top five defense caruso was huge um the bucks still just did not look great uh the, i mean the defense was good in terms of results but i thought the bulls missed a lot of good looks um you know now you know demar i thought kind of like demar missed a lot of shots early that i think he'll hit um, usually, but you could tell as the shot started to, to fall, not fall, he rushed some stuff when he got open space. So um, we'll see there. But um, I, I don't necessarily know if this is going to be a long series. And obviously, the Bucks, you know, have a history of struggling in game ones. But um, I was impressed by the defensive effort from Caruso and DeRozan and Levine and, and Vucevic. Even I thought Pat Will does some good stuff defensively as well. So um, we'll see with game two there. But I thought that was interesting. Both teams shot horrifically but I thought Chicago maybe played a better defensive game in terms of execution, but the results weren't the same. Um, but, you know, I think I'll have a better idea after game two, just because of how historically the bucks have not been good in game ones. Um, that was even the case when they won the title last year. Very they true. Lost, um, they lost, well, they barely won game one against Miami. Then they lost game one of the book to the, to the Nets. They lost game one of the Hawks, Hawks. They lost to the Suns. They lost game one to the magic in the bubble. They won that series. So um, it is not a kind game to them since Bud took over. So we'll have a better read after game two. But if Chicago keeps up the defensive execution and hits more shots, um, you know, I think this could be an interesting series. And it would be, you know, obviously there's some, you know, extenuating factors, but it would be fun if everyone anticipated the Bulls-Buck series to be kind of the quick four or five game series and that ended up being the Sixers-Raptors series. I think that would just be kind because of, everyone thought it would be the opposite, right? A hard-fought series where – Maybe the Raptors win. Maybe it goes six or seven, and every game was within six points, like it was in the regular season. So, 
Um, that would just be ironic. Obviously, you know, the, the injury to Scotty Barnes makes a difference and, you know, the illness with Kerry Trent Jr., you know, is, is a factor here, but um, I think still would be kind of an ironic outcome, but I still think the Bucks will end up winning this comfortably, but game one did catch my eye and I was impressed by how crisp Chicago's defensive rotations were, which has not been the case since about mid-December at the latest, maybe. I'd have to go back and look more specifically, but um, definitely was emblematic or representative, I should say, of their early season performance, which is quite good on that end for Chicago. I, I would also just like to add real quick, uh, if I'm if I'm a Boston Celtics fan or if I'm talking to Boston Celtics fans, I'm looking at them straight in the eye and I'm like, look, y'all really shouldn't be too chesty about that win. Like, for real. Um, it took you everything that you had to win that game. This is going seven. And I'm not a thousand percent sure I am not taking Brooklyn. Yeah, I mean that series was that game was. I mean that was the best game of the day, obviously. Yeah. Um, I think there's some things on both sides for to, to kind of low hanging fruit. The, the the Celtics build a lot of easy transition chances. KD went nine of twenty four. Um, he doesn't do that very often, but I mean Boston's strategy against him was really really good. I th- you know I'm I went back and kind of watched some of that stuff today and. Um, I thought he they bothered a lot of his shots, um, which is impressive. And I mean, obviously, you can bother Katie; it doesn't always matter. So, um, but they did about as good as a job as you can do. So we'll see. But yeah, the series was great. Kyrie, obviously, um, his shot making was incredible and kind of brought them back in that late in that kind of in that early fourth quarter run. But um, yeah, I've I've been a believer in honestly both these teams for a while, and I think it's going to be a great series. And um, I'm curious to kind of see some of the adjustments because I think you saw some in-game adjustments on both sides throughout game one. And I expect to see even more on Wednesday, but, um, but yeah, I don't think you, I don't think you feel great if you're either side, honestly, right? Like you, yeah, you, you get, you get that close to stealing a game one as, as Brooklyn with that, without KD being great. Um, you know, you, you're, you're bummed, but you, you barely win game one and you get a great game from Tatum and you get a good game, good game from Al Horford um you feel as, as a Boston guy person you you don't feel great either but Boston's defense you know wasn't even that great I think they left some you know some tough on the table so um reasons for optimism and pessimism on both sides but I think that's the sign of a a series that as you noted should go along and I, I expect it to and I'm looking forward to uh watching at least the next three games fingers crossed that it's five or six more because that was a <laughs> tremendous tremendous game one and it was very very enjoyable Sixers Raptors game three Wednesday eight o'clock. Um, we are back in the 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 scary arena that uh, is just home to so much PTSD. But uh, yeah, we had a two zero lead going into Toronto. I feel pretty good. Uh, Jackson, um, your your time to plug all of your all of your things, all of your wares. Where can people uh, read your stuff, listen to your stuff? If you're on any more podcasts this week. <laughs> Yeah, so I'll probably be I'll be guesting on some podcast stuff, uh, other other places. Um, I don't know exactly where, but busy week ahead. Um, I'll share all of it on my Twitter at Jack JF. All my probably all my I'll be featuring on a bunch of Liberty Baller stuff during the series throughout the playoffs. Uh, I'll do some written stuff later in the week as well. Uh, general NBA content uh, throughout these playoffs. You can find me at Dime Up Rocks, the analyst in basketball news. I'll have some fun stuff on the Heat Hawk series that we didn't get into, but I expect that to be a short-lived series. Very um, sure. Fun stuff on the Celtic, how the Celtics guarded Katie that we alluded to a little bit here over uh, basketball news. So a lot of fun stuff coming from me. I'm sure I'll get something up on the Sixers uh, series as well, but um, find all my Sixers stuff at Liberty Ballers and I appreciate you having me on and uh, look forward to talking more Sixers with you and our, uh, our other coworkers in the coming days and weeks. Always a pleasure having you, Jackson. Talk to you next time, buddy. Yeah.